Welcome to the Mandalorian podcast by Fantastic Geek, your official, unofficial podcast for the Outer Rim. My name is Matt, and joining me in the co-pilot seat is Pete. Hello, the Pete. What up, all my Mandos and Mandats? The Mandalorian podcast by Fantastic Geek, talking today, season one, as we begin the wait, hopefully not long, maybe shorter now for season two. Yes, indeed, Pete. And let's start with that bit of show news, at least show news by by proxy. Uh, so on New Year's Day, Disney Plus announced first, first tentatively, teasingly, then confirmed that uh, WandaVision, the uh, Marvel Studios live-action TV show, will be coming in 2020, not 2021. And I think, therefore, logically, if that's going to be uh, as it was presented in their you know, New Year's sizzle reel, um, Falcon and the Winter Soldier, The Mandalorian Season 2, and WandaVision all coming, one can assume that it would be in that order. Therefore, WandaVision, in the neighborhood of six episodes... Um, one would assume that that would be last to roll out. It also connects to the Doctor Strange film that comes out in 2021. So does that push Mandalorian back earlier? There's, In my mind, there is no way that we are going to get Falcon and the Winter Soldier slash Mandalorian slash WandaVision. Any combination of those are not going to run concurrently because they're basically playing for the same you know, tween-teen adult audience. I agree. And it only spells good news. I mean, you ask why we're talking about Marvel Studios TV shows during a Mandalorian Star Wars podcast. Obviously, Disney Plus and the streaming audience there. And like you're saying, the idea that you're going to split your audience. No, they they don't have the buildup of new content just yet where they could be doing that like in Netflix. So they're going to create windows when those things will run. And it's even more complicated now that Kevin Feige has his hands, feet, whatever appendages we want to refer to in uh, Lucasfilm uh, apparently has a pitch in there and uh, moving up the chain. So. We know that uh, Mandalorian Season 2 is in uh, production now, in the later stages of production as we understand. We've also heard that, uh, well, we've heard from a number of actresses that have made cryptic statements that they might be in Season 2, looking at Ming-Na Wen and also Katie Sackoff, who of course played Starbuck most notably in the Battlestar Galactica reboot. She also voiced... And played Starbuck the Angel, Pete, two separate characters. Anyway, uh, she also voiced a prominent Mandalorian character on The Clone Wars and uh, in November made a statement on Twitter that uh, just filmed something, not allowed to talk about it, probably the coolest thing in my career... Uh, they were filming back then, so a lot of speculation that we're going to see the character of Bo-Katan, uh, the Mandalorian, um, in Season 2. And there's also been some unconfirmed stuff that there's going to be some legacy characters drifting over for Season 2. I mean, listen, you, you, you keep the winning formula that you have. You keep the space western. You put that child in 
every episode each week and people are going to continue to uh, tune in. Absolutely. And indeed, I think it goes without saying, Pete, that the the breakaway character, the breakaway cultural breakthrough for this first season of The Mandalorian was the child, a character that, you know, it appears no one outside the production was anticipating a child of the unnamed Yoda species and a child who is force sensitive and that whole combination. No one saw that coming. And the fact that it just hit and continues to hit culturally it's just it's it's more astonishing than i think that we we would have thought yeah i mean they kept this secret as long as they did and the zeitgeist that it has awakened uh and everything around it there are people who have had no business with star wars before who are in on this and i think it speaks to the cultural importance of the property of the brand who are now checking out the movies who are now checking out the tv shows the older animated tv shows and getting ready i mean geez matt clone wars comes back next month and uh you know who's to say there there can't be uh, echoes from what we've seen in all the other Star Wars uh, recent um, works in that. Well, and I think for a lot of people who are looking to keep the Star Wars weekly TV show fix, I think that there's going to be a discovery and or rediscovery of the Clone Wars and uh, perhaps also Rebels, Star Wars Rebels, as your your weekly fix or your bingeable fix you know oh man disney plus it's all it's weekly i had to wait seven weeks to get the eight or I had to, the eight episodes over eight weeks blah 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 i mean now you have a hundred plus episodes of uh clone wars and i don't have an episode count off the top of my head probably 50 or so for for rebels where you can chug through i know i've been chugging through and what's astonished me the most is Clone Wars definitely starts out as, hey, we're kind of looking for the 8 to 12 range. And, we, you know, we'll have some more adult stuff there just to kind of have adults get a get a little kind of like legacy zing. And then really quickly, it's like stuff that can border on scary for kids or like you, legitimately we're going to see five clone troopers get gunned down now. They're dead. The end. Uh, you know, not the end of the story, but just like, hey, we're going to have deaths on screen. Um so I think there is your, you know, clearly it's kind of a more junior thing. It's animated. It, it, it is meant a bit more squarely for kids. But there's your thing to keep you occupied until the new season of Clone Wars. And then from there, just to keep, you know, keep Star Wars going, maybe go a little fallow until it returns on TV some point in the fall. I think both of those properties, Clone Wars and Rebels, aged very well with their audience like you said they've been given in a, in a juvenile manner i mean anybody who went to the theater to see what is essentially a three episode feature in the clone wars movie that kicked off that series knows how painfully juvenile it could be right sky guy says snips and now ahsoka is this uber popular character her voice popping up in the most recent movie, uh, you know, grown with the audience into Rebels. Um, I'm in the middle-ish towards 
more of the beginning of watching Resistance, and of course, it's ending uh, this year, Star Wars Resistance. Uh, with this season, I think part of that is, oh, now Disney Plus is a thing and we're not going to move it over. Um, it It's kind of stayed juvenile to this point. I'm interested to see if it goes through the same kind of growth that the other two shows do. But there are things out there for people to watch before they get to Mandalorian season two. We're all ready for it. We're all excited about it. We're not canceling Disney Plus like some of these clowns are because no Mandalorian. Yeah, which I, I think people who were looking for social media cool cred for canceling. I mean, first of all, definitely pay for the streaming services that you want to pay for. I think that's the difference between you know, when people say, oh, look, all these streamers, and you add it all up. Now it's the same as cable. Well, listen, if you're not looking forward to um, The New Pope or whatever the show is the, the, that's coming up on HBO, if you're not interested in that, go cancel your HBO, man. When Westworld comes back, get it going again for six, eight, ten weeks and cancel again. Like, you do have that flexibility where previously you had not. Similarly, you know, if you were just getting Disney Plus for The Mandalorian, okay, I guess these other, and you you love Star Wars, well, I guess these other things aren't worth uh, a rewatch, or if you've never seen them, they're not worth a watch. Uh, I think they are. Pete, you think they are. But, you know, there's a ton of, there's a ton of content there on Disney Plus as this quickly turns, I guess, into a, a soft Disney Plus ad. But, you know, Pete, we're, we're coming off a year where Disney made uh, the top seven movies in the United States uh, were all made by Disney. The, the asterisk being Spider-Man Far From Home was released by Sony, but, you know, clearly a Marvel production. You know, so like if, the, if, if all of that isn't feeding, you know, hey, keep Disney Plus, I don't know what to tell you, but, you know... Again, I think there's some people that are just like, look, I, I want to show that I, I I took this thing out. I am the Mandalorian, too, because I took out Disney+. Plus. I guess. But keeping the focus on season one here, Matt, and obvious the choice to make this the first production that people would move to Disney Plus for, uh, from that pilot episode you're completely pulled in the zinger obviously at the end the the child inside the the hover param and uh you know we love the show up to that point but that threw it over the top yeah and it's just it's astonishing to kind of look back uh and and I was going to say do a proper rewatch. I must confess I have not watched, you know, beginning to end, but I certainly have seen all these episodes multiple times. But to kind of get pitched in the first episode, to get pitched on the idea of, hey, he goes on missions. And it's like, okay, cool. And then at the end, wait, this is a different kind of mission. Um, he's not going to follow through. And then, you know, chapter two, The Child, it's, um, it's standalone, but it also... Let me put it this way. Yes, the child carries over there, but it's kind of a standalone episode in terms of him, you know, him uh, versus the Mudhorn and things like that. So you still are kind of like, okay, well, it's a different mission. It's not a, it's not a, a bounty hunter mission, but it's his thing of the week. And then slowly, this serial story is is unspooling. And as I said many many times on the podcast, the fact that each week you got an easily presented story. You could understand beginning, middle, end. You could understand conflict, things like that. The complexity was 
was coming from the tension of, meanwhile, what's going back on Navarro, even before Navarro is named? Meanwhile, are we going to get a name for the client? Meanwhile, what is Dr. Pershing's interest in all of this? And it kind of was... It was the audience that was generating a lot of the a lot of the mystery, not, you know, who is behind the, the, the curtain making the big giant head work in the Wizard of Oz. And this is exhibit A, why the week to week model. And don't get me wrong, you know, we can tell you all about how our podcast numbers on week to week shows are stronger than those that are binged. But had you been able to binge these eight episodes of Mandalorian, we are done talking about this, at least mostly as a society, um, you know, around Thanksgiving, maybe early December. And, and we've moved on that this conversation continues, that the Baby Yoda memes continue to to be all over the place uh, shows there is still the thirst for this water cooler model and, and the subsequent discussion. And, you know, you talk about the pilot, but for me, the second episode remains the greatest uh, end to end and changes the game the most because, all right, now we're going to go rogue on what it means to be this bounty hunter that the child has saved his life, has changed his life. From there on, the premise of the show is now he goes around and picks up missions and finds ways to stay off the grid with the kid. I mean, yeah, we have the third episode, The Sin, where he brings the kid back and he gets the best scar and he has the armor here. And it's funny, Matt, for as much as people have... Uh, attempted to slam Rise of Skywalker as it has video game plot in that go to a place, get a thing, go to another place, get a thing. Uh, you mean kind of like The Mandalorian does too? Uh, kind of like stories do that video games took the idea of because you can uh, illustrate it in a, in a task-based manner, but you know, let, let's not understand story at all. Uh, but, you know, reversing his choice, feeling the guilt there, having made the connection with the child, going back and getting him the repercussions on all the other Mandalorians on Navarro. And then from there, you know, you get a, you get a bunch of different types of episodes until we come back and really finish that business at the end of the season. It, it's a really well told, but at the same time, simple season of TV. And I think that's why it's become a real gateway story for a lot of people who weren't huge Star Wars fans. Well, and if you if you kind of go back to the timeline of the show where, you know, it was all the way back in uh, November 2017 where there was there was reference made by Bob Iger that there's going to be a live action Star Wars TV show. Okay. Presumably it's that Christmas of 2017 where Favreau, and this is a story he told at that celebration this past spring, Star Wars celebration where he was writing these scripts. I guess at that point he, it had been um, 
you know, official or whatever, or maybe that was even, pardon me, that was prior to when it was official, but he's writing these scripts and he's sending them to Filoni and it's, it's Christmas Day and he's like, Dave, did you, what'd you think of the script? And Filoni's like, uh, it's Christmas Day, dude. I'll be back in the office in a couple of days. You go enjoy time with your family too. I know you're focused on the Star Wars thing. Fast forward to February 2018. Um, they, they did not have a deal done at that point. Um, at least according to Bob Iger on a, on a different financial call. So just this notion that here we are, it feels like such a long time ago, no Star Wars pun intended, where this was being put together even prior to a deal, it does give you a sense of the lead in time that a TV show like this requires, particularly starting up from nothing, you know, going through all the casting and costume fitting and what works and what doesn't, that kind of thing. Uh, on a certain level, Pete, the notion that we are getting another season within a year of the first one, I know that that is kind of just generally expected of TV shows in general, but it, it's a pretty special thing for a show that's like this and a show that's this expensive. Yeah, and that's the thing. I know a lot of people were kind of disappointed in run times, but when you consider what's going on in those run times from an effects standpoint, um, the sets are not particularly, you know, ornate and, and there's not a lot of cost comparatively there. And even the cast is not, you know, super high demanding at this point. However, when you talk about, you know, not just the puppetry that goes into the child, but then when they're animating that and animating the other things, that's where it really adds up. And then the shorter lead time, uh, that they put into having this be the first series that people were going to buy this channel for, um, you know, really all made it worthwhile. I mean, listen, there's an alternate universe where this is misfired and this has been the hit they wanted, the hit they needed to lead them off. And everybody is better for it. I, I have to feel some sympathy for people making new tv nowadays particularly outside of the broadcast or cable world where i think there kind of is that question what is the right length of time you know last weekend i checked out the witcher wasn't for me not everything needs to be for me it's not a slam the fact that i didn't stick with it pete that's not a slam against it it's just okay it wasn't for me maybe maybe it's not meant for me but you know i hit the eject button uh, figuratively you know about 25 minutes in and that's it, you know, 25 minutes out of a 45 or 50 minute episode. I don't know if a 30 minute episode, a 35 minute episode, if I would have been like, well, I'm past the halfway mark, let me continue. And then I would have said, oh my goodness, now I get it. Now I'm hooked in the thing from the beginning. It's echoed in the end, that kind of thing. Um, I think that for this show, for The Mandalorian, it's the size that the scripts were. That's what I suspect. And I don't know if, you know, were the scripts... Uh, edited down when when Favreau was coming in with you know and then we'll go to the giant this and then there'll be 18 motion capture you know characters and somebody said uh dude that would cost 120 million dollars per episode we're looking at 10 to 15 what can you do well let's get rid of this let's get rid of, you know whatever it might be but I suspect that they just ultimately they told the kind of story that they wanted to tell and it wasn't a lot of like oh I wish this I wish that I think it was just Favreau, as this guy who knows how to make a super expensive movie like Lion King, knows how to make a super inexpensive movie like Swingers, 
albeit he didn't direct swingers, but you know, and kind of knows all that stuff where if it's like, Hey, you're going to give me uh, $120 million for eight episodes. Great. Let me do some division. Let me this, let me that. Here's how we can make my kind of sort of idea fit into something that's practical. Now I'm going to go write scripts. And he wrote six of the eight scripts, obviously produced all of it. And then Filoni doing one script, the gunslinger, which to me is the weakest episode. We can talk about that in a second. And then uh, Rick Famuyiwa and uh, Christopher Yost collaborated on the Prisoner episode. Pete, so obviously Favreau at the helm of The Mandalorian. Uh, In the last week or so, I became aware of uh, not just some chatter. There were some some smartly written articles, uh, both of which were on Vulture, both of which uh, linked on December 9th, both of which I will put in the show notes that basically point out this. One is titled, Meet the Man Beneath the Mandalorian's Armor, uh, and the other article is, so who is really under the Mandalorian's helmet? Uh, I know we spoke in the last podcast or two about how Brendan Wayne, John Wayne's grandson, stuntman, actor, uh, as well as uh, some other people were stunt doubles for the Mandalorian. Then there's the little factoid that guess how much time uh, Bryce Dallas Howard spent working with Pedro Pascal. Pete, the answer is? None. None. So, and I'm not saying like, ooh, therefore smoking gun. I think some people wanted to turn it into that. Yeah. It's a guy in a helmet. Um, uh, Bryce Dallas Howard says that he was in rehearsals for King Lear on Broadway. I looked that up, Pete. That ran for like 12 weeks on Broadway um, last, I believe, spring into summer, February into late spring, something like that. So... Pedro Pascal did not make lots and lots of the Mandalorian on set inside the suit. Okay. Like I'm okay with that. It was still his voice. (laughs) You, you, you never didn't buy into the illusion of him under the helmet. I know we speculated a lot like, all right, you go and get a face actor and how much of it is he doing aside from the obvious stunt work. And I'm fine with that. I think that's a tamer version of some of the weirdos who are like, what? Pedro Pascal is under the helmet? That's not what I signed up for. Well, and as we had uh, brushed upon slightly in uh, the, the Chapter 8 podcast, yeah, I think some of that was just, wait, Pedro Pascal doesn't look like me, and I am free to be angry about that. And... That's not a discussion we want to have or care to have because uh, too bad. Yeah. And uh, if you know him from Game of Thrones, if you know him from Narcos, you know his previous work. Uh, I think just as many people were coming to see him and see what he was going to do in this role. So uh, hopefully we're going to see more of him without his helmet on, although it is kind of the conceit of the show and we've dealt with that from you know story and exposition standpoints um but matt i've voiced my biggest disappointment as far as an episode chapter five the gunslinger you know the big tatooine fan service story unfortunately the one that had our ming na wen in not as great a role as we thought but hopefully one that's gonna recur since only one shot what was your biggest disappointment um 
I think it's a little difficult to say disappointment just because I did enjoy all the episodes. I think there there were elements of Chapter 5, The Gunslinger, that didn't land fully, in part because they were fan servicey. But I kind of liked... I liked that the episode dared to walk a familiar path. To me, it might have been the next episode, Chapter 6, The Prisoner, if only because it just felt tonally different from everything else there was a little extra edge there was a little extra adult darkness to it and i'm not saying that that's not welcome in star wars it just felt like i felt like it's been such a squeaky clean presentation so far um you know yes with stormtrooper violence and yes with things of that sort but it kind of there was a certain flavor leading up to chapter six there was a certain flavor in chapters seven and eight and i just felt like you know chapter six chapter six felt like this little experiment to see what if we what if we take things in a slightly darker path and to me it didn't land quite as well ironically pete uh that the only episode not written by favreau or filoni so maybe there's something to that too with all due respect to uh, story by Christopher Yost and Telpi by Yost and uh, Rick Famuyiwa. I have to disagree. I'll agree slightly on the tone, but you know we're going to do the western. You got to have a chapter that's train robbery, and and that really nailed the aesthetic to see the crew put together there to to finally glimpse some of the New Republic. The the little bit that we've had, there's more of the New Republic in The Mandalorian than there is in The Force Awakens, um, ironically. And, uh, you know, really hoping to continue to get glimpses of that uh, in-between fledgling government as we get back into Season 2 here. Yeah, and I think overall this was a really, really solid season uh, again i'll just say i think they set out to tell a certain kind of story with a certain scope uh, and they did just that particularly i mean look this was obviously made in a this was made separate from whatever response there has been to the rise of skywalker because it came out before you know it was obviously made concurrently but not made as a response to but if there wasn't enough nostalgia in Rise of Skywalker, while this has a slightly different nostalgic uh, mix, I mean, even separate from going back to Tatooine, just in terms of kind of familiar guys doing familiar things. If your if your statement was, well, it wasn't enough nostalgia. Well, this is getting you, you know, timeline updates, as you say, Pete, about the New Republic, and it's calling back to Clone Wars episodes and Rebels episodes with the the Dark Saber, and you know, you're it's it's calling out the uh, the ISB. Uh, crew for and, and all of that so I think that it'll again it'll be super interesting in the coming months to see what exactly is the future of Star Wars do they kind of look and go you know what maybe maybe for the next couple of years we are better off holding off on films entirely we're going to turn I mean I don't know what there is with Mandalorian and Obi-Wan and uh, the, the Cassian series already coming but you know what we're going to pivot from doing the Ray standalone movie to Ray six episodes, that kind of thing. You know, we'll see which way the wind is going. Certainly hope for more of Gina Carano in season two. Uh, and same with uh, Carl Weathers, you know, to kind of establish that crew in the last two episodes. And you, you had a, 
an inkling that perhaps, all right, they will become along with Queel and, and IG-11, your your core gang that's that's going to go out and have adventures. And, you know, the, the story did not go that way. And that's fine. That's their choice. Um, but you would hope you would see more of them in the second season. Yeah, and I would say hopefully more in a bigger way. Uh, I know I have spoken previously at length about just my expectation based on uh, the way the show was promoted that we were going to end up with this this team of Cara Dune and Grief Karga and that that would be kind of your trio. And you really didn't... I mean, you got that towards the end, but that wasn't the concept of the show. Maybe that's where you end up in season two, and I think that could be a, a new and fun, different combination. Pete, we will also hear more, of course, from Giancarlo Esposito's Moff Gideon. Moff, of course, the title given to the top of the top. Pete, it's now time to hear from our very own Moff. That's right, Moff Fred from the Netherlands. Hello, Matt and Pete and all listeners to Fantastic Geek. This is Fred from the Netherlands with a little feedback for the Mandalorian wrap-up of Season 1. I really, really enjoyed this series and... As Pete, I liked very much the episode 2 with the Jawas, and it, I think it's still my favorite. It uh, brought me back, or actually into the Star Wars world again, following this series together with you. Started to watch Star Wars Rebels, which I didn't know existed. I went to the cinema and watched The Rise of Skywalker. I even watched... The Last Jedi again in a rewatch. But as said before, I'm not so well into the Star Wars world and world building as into Star Trek. Nevertheless, very enjoyable. First, I complained a little bit about the story of the week episodes, but then I started to like them because they're quite comprehensive and understandable. And then suddenly at the end we did get a follow-up storyline. Very sad, of course, that Quail died. He was a nice character. But the whole story still is a little unclear, hazy, what this Mandalorian and this child, let's say, where it will go. Well, it brought me anyway in ordering a nice t-shirt. So merchandising is also working here. I have a t-shirt ordered with the child and Joda on it. More as a playing card, so as a mirrored image with the child and Joda upside down. So that's what it all brought me. I think the quality is very high and sometimes it's a little bit in the acting uh, over the top. Especially the two stormtroopers at the beginning of episode 8 was funny but a little bit over the top. I'm somewhat proud of myself that I managed to do all the audio feedbacks at the same time with a whole season of Marvel Runaways, The Rise of Skywalker, two Star Trek short tracks, his dark materials at another podcast, the start of season 4 of The Expanse, and a series I do with my regular podcasters Dave and Wayne of Sci-Fi TV Rewatch called Impulse. But I'm not only proud of myself, but also of you doing 185 podcasts in 2019. Big, big compliments and very impressive guys. 
This is, for a while, probably the last feedback for Fantastic Geek. We have to wait to Picar, and I'm not sure if I can find the time to do feedback there. Probably I will do Picar feedback, but for several podcasts. I don't know how much of the listeners really listen to several podcasts, and then it wouldn't be nice to hear that silly Dutch guy tell the same story over and over again. But if you only listen to one Picard podcast, then it doesn't matter, of course. Okay, time's up. Greetings. Thank you very much for this nice ride. And, well, probably talk to you somewhere in some podcast. And if you have listened to the wrap-up of Runaways, in comparison to the last 30 seconds of this feedback, you know how it feels when this feedback giver uses some parts of his feedback again and again. Greetings, all the best, Fred from the Netherlands. Pete, Fred, wrapping up this season of Mandalorian on a high note, making us both laugh uh, and grin as uh, as we were listening to that. And Fred, always a pleasure. Pete, in that way, he differs from Moff Gideon. Moff Gideon, yes. a bad dude. Moff Fred, a, a, a noble force here in the galaxy of Fantastic Geek. Yes, and apparently very strong with anybody uh, having Dutch ancestry is that second uh, episode there, um, The Child. So uh, my favorite, Fred's favorite. Uh, so there you go. And uh, yeah, I, I think Fred is illustrating a lot of the things we've, we've talked about. Here's a guy who's into sci-fi, who's into these types of stories, but not as big into Star Wars. And The Mandalorian has, has brought him into that as gotten him into some of the other shows i think he'll develop appreciation for that really really hoping fred is going to join us for picard i think picard it, it's not going to be baby yoda okay it's it's not but you know it's space grandpa and all right it, it, it's it's going to be one of these first watershed moments of culture in 2020 and i absolutely want fred along for that ride baby yoda grandpa yoda grandpa picard <laughs> I mean, come on, man. We, Baby we're, Picard. They, yeah, exactly. They go back in time, and they need to. They need to. Uh, they can go back in time, runaway style, to uh, to protect Baby Picard. There I mean, you, uh, it's all connected, as Jeff Loeb used to say. <laughs> as Jeff Loeb used to say, indeed. Well, Pete, this has been quite the journey. I know that our understanding of 2020 and Star Wars will be evolving perhaps even as soon as later this month. So though this Mandalorian podcast feed is going to go on hiatus, it could be tomorrow, it could be next week, it could be next month, whatever it is, where we're going to have more concrete news. So though we've been focused on The Mandalorian, do stay subscribed, do stay uh, listening, because there's all sorts of uh, all sorts of podcast goodies ahead as more Star Wars gets announced, more Star Wars gets uh, to unfold. And Pete, I know we have more goodies right now. Yes, as promised, we're going to select our uh, Apple Podcast review raffle winner here. You're going to uh, receive a pre-ordered The Child Funko Pop that will be shipped to you the moment it is physically available. So I'm going to reach into the old popper right now and pick out our winner. So congratulations, Phil Boots. You're going to reach out to me, and uh, we will get that all squared away for you. 
Uh, thanks to everybody who contributed an Apple podcast review or rating. Uh, definitely helps us, helps people find us, and would hope that uh, you continue to do that in this little fallow period there will be between more Mandalorian. And of course, Pete, the entire season helped out by those who support us on patreon.com slash fantastic geek, making sure that our entire back catalog and all our future endeavors uh, are made possible with their financial support. Everybody who contributes gets access to exclusive podcast content, all sorts of levels from there, even more coming early this year so you want to be a part of that takes just a dollar to get you in that door and not only are you helping us uh with uh week to week and month to month expenses keeping our whole backlog available on fantasticgeek.com because apple podcasts just can't keep up okay can't contribute just now that's fine you can go over to apple podcasts where it's always free to leave a rating to leave a review Pete, all sorts of goodies there, but there's one that's always free. It's talking to you on Twitter. How can people do so? You can find me on Twitter at Peter, P-I-E-T-E-R-J-K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R. 11,018 followers. Can't be wrong. And for some reason, uh, Fred had asked, why do I have 11,000 and Fantastic Geek has 4,000? Your guess is as good as mine. Pete, I think a good time, a good opportunity to make sure that you're being followed on Twitter. The Fantastic Geek is being followed on Twitter. Indeed, while I am personally on Twitter's Looking Back Lost, do be in touch with the podcast. Comment on FantasticGeek.com. Check us out on Twitter, Instagram, Gmail, where we are Fantastic Geek as well. But wait, Pete, there's more. Facebook.com slash Fantastic Geek with a PH, all one word, like it today. Well, Pete, as we get set to hyperspace on out of this dusty spaceport, as I said before, it's not goodbye, hopefully for long, when it comes to Mandalorian and Star Wars news. We will update as soon as there is any info in either the film or TV arena. For now, though, I will say adios to all the listeners and give you, Pete, the final season one word. I have spoken. <laughs>